Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Jake. And you're listening to Two for the Matinee. Join us today as we talk about Payback versus Payback. So spoiler alert, because these movies are going to get spoiled. Both cuts will get spoiled. You're going to be kind of surprised by what I have to say. All right. All right. Uh, So Payback is a 1999 movie directed by Brian Helgeland. Helgeland? Helgeland. Helgeland. And it's based on a novel by Donald E. Westlake as Richard Stark with a screenplay by Brian Helgeland. And it stars Mel Gibson, Greg Henry, Maria Bello, Bill Duke, Lucy Liu as Lucy Alexis Liu, which I thought was kind of amusing in the credits. And... Uh, Mel Gibson plays Porter, and after a successful heist, Porter is left for dead. Once he recovers, he seeks vengeance and wants his share of the money. So the original theatrical cut came out in 1999. One thing I love about it is the look. It's it's got that that kind of metallic filter look. What do you what did you think of that? The visuals. So I watched the theatrical cut first and I was thoroughly entertained. I I didn't think it was a perfect movie. I did have some problems with it, but I was thoroughly entertained. It was really zippy. It was fun. And I actually liked the um, blue tint tinge that everything had, the sort of cold, harsh look of everything. So I didn't have a problem with that. Good. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but like the credits had like a very 70s kind of look to them, like the font. Yeah, but it, yeah, in both versions, it did. Both versions. Mm -hmm. And I I mean, overall, I think the movie, it, it, there's a lot of nods to those kind of uh, like gritty 70s movies. One of the scenes takes place in a restaurant called Varick's. I'm pretty sure that's a reference to, is it Charlie Varick? with Walter Matthau. Um, The dialogue is very sharp and kind of elicits, uh, what's his name? Who am I thinking of? The the writer. Raymond Chandler? Yes, yes. But I like like to hear, I like the dialogue here more because I feel like in those, the Raymond Chandler movies that we watched, it it was like, I don't know, there's something about it, it was like too heavy handed, but here it was like really funny and clever and it was really snappy. Like, especially uh, there's this scene so about halfway through the movie, Mel Gibson's character reunites with this woman who's a sex worker and years before he used to be her driver. And so at one point, one night, I guess they slept together finally after being friends for a while. And then the following following day, he basically left her and they, they hadn't spoken until they reunited. And she asked him like, when did you decide you were gonna leave? Was it the night we slept together? And he says, no, it was the next day when I had to drive you. In other words, to like her next appointment with her customer. And she responds, well, you could have, you could have driven me somewhere else. And, and he responds, you could have asked me to drive you somewhere else, right? Is, did I get that right? And it's just like that, like very, like very quick back and forth. And it feels like really organic, even though it's kind of snappy like that. And I like it a lot more than some of the dialogue that we've seen in the Chandler movies. Uh, and when he says that he's her driver and he used to drive her when, to her jobs, it made me think of Mona Lisa, that movie with Bob Hoskins, 
where he's the driver for um, the prostitute. And that's all he does is drive her around. And he, but he has, it's a one-sided love affair with him. He, like he's in love with her and she's not in love with him. In Mona Lisa? Mm-hmm. I've never seen that movie, but one that came up in Payback, I knew you were going to bring it up. But it's got, this movie is like very much of that kind of anti-hero detective, like Chinatown, Chandler. You got like the femme fatale, the, uh, the femme that betrays. You've got the dirty cops. You've got the mob boss. Like it's got all those elements. Which uh, I, I don't know if you saw, there's an interview with Brian Helgeland where he talks about how that's the movie he wanted to make because he was inspired by all of those movies from the seventies and he went in wanting to make a gritty cynical film. Yeah. I think uh, when I did own the DVD before I got rid of it of the director's cut, it had that making a feature. And I remember him talking about it. And again, like we will talk more about the director's cut, but I felt like in some ways this was more grittier. And I think the look was part of it was the look. I think it takes more than just tinting the screen blue for it to look gritty. I don't think that blue tint helped the film look gritty. I think it made it a sort of coldness to it, but I don't think it had anything to do with just like the grit of it, the sort of darkness of it, metaphorically speaking. I think I got what he was trying to do in the director's cut and I and he even mentions him, him him and Mel talk about how the studio is like nope you can't kill the star you can't kill the dog we're not doing all that so they both knew that there were going to have to be changes made and I am I appreciate the direct the theatrical cut for what it is but I prefer the director's cut. Well, supposedly Mel Gibson wanted the movie to be in black and white. <laughs> Which I would have been interested to see that too. Yeah, um, I saw that on Wikipedia. I mean, well, we can get into the differences. I mean, okay, so the the first difference you see right away, it's with the opening scene. In the theatrical cut, we have Porter lying on his stomach, like half dead, and some shady doctor pulling bullets out of his back. Mm -hmm. And the director's cut, it goes straight to Porter just showing up back in town and we don't know. Well, he's walking into town. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I I think the distinction has to be made that this is really, these are really two very different movies. I mean, they're composed of like similar seat, like the same scenes in some instances, but they're not, they're, they're different movies. Like I can't judge them against each other. I have to judge them as what they are (laughs) separately because the feeling, the tone, the way that it resolves itself is completely different in each of these films. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And, and even, the, even the character of Porter, I did not like Porter in the theatrical cut. I, I thought he, I, and it stems, I mean, I love that opening scene because you're like, this guy is an asshole. He's a sociopath. He clearly is on a mission. Yeah, I didn't like him but I was along for the ride. I didn't like him in the other version either, but I was, I was rooting for him, even though I didn't like him. Well, one thing I found interesting, and it's, so in like the opening few shots, you see him do these kind of, uh, I mean, this could, I think Despicable is too maybe harsh of a word, but he does these very uh, anti-hero 
kind of dirty things. Like he robs a homeless guy. He doesn't tip a waitress at a diner. Uh, he's kind of just a jerk overall. So you, they really set him up to like, for us to not like him. But I would say like in both films, you, I mean, for you, it's more of in the second version, but I feel like in both films, you kind of still end up rooting for him. My problem, my problem with the first film, and it's like little things. So they cut like a few things out of each of those little interactions that maybe he, like he doesn't say anything to the homeless guy. He just takes his money, you know? So in the, in the theatrical one, he'd say he takes the money from him and then it's like, you're cured. So it's like a little smarmy thing moving on like there's little things but the main problem i had was the whole third act introduces new villains and i'm not really feeling their villainy so when he like kills the one and then kidnaps the son and all this stuff i'm like i'm not i i don't like you because i don't hate these people but so i what i was going to ask is they spent all this time setting him up to be a jerk but then, like, why does he win us over? Is it because it's Mel Gibson? I don't and think we... he win. He didn't win me over. I was just rooting for him to get his money. Because it, it was fair? You were rooting for justice. I was rooting for his, yeah, I was rooting for him to get what was his. But I did not like Porter as a character. I mean, that scene where he comes back in the very beginning in the, in the director's cut and he beats up his ex-wife. I'm like, that's a great scene. Uh... They couldn't keep that in, though. I guess Mel wanted that kept in, too. And see, that's interesting, because I didn't like that scene. And, I mean... I liked it. It does a couple of things. One, in that cut, in the director's cut, it makes you like him less, right? Because he... I mean, she. I think she attacks him first. So it's kind of self-defense, but he mm-hmm. does beat her up. But it does a great thing, because you're like, what the... F-? This guy, like, he's done all these shitty things, and he beats this woman up, and then... Oh, okay. We see why you just kicked beat her ass up because she shot you in the back and double crossed you. So I like I like that that like we're, he does that and then we see why he did it. So it makes more sense. And so you're like, okay, yeah, you shouldn't go around beating up women, but considering that she like tried to kill you, I get it. See, I thought it it made that interaction drag because in the theatrical cut, you kind of get that where he like slams a door. And if you notice in the theatrical cut, like she gets hit by the door and she's bleeding, but in the director's cut, she's not. She's only bleeding after they fight. So I feel like it gets to the point quicker. And then she ODs anyway and she dies. So it's like, I feel like it's this added scene with her that just slows the whole thing down. I don't, I don't think it slowed it down. It was, a, it was an action scene. Well, the fight was. But then yeah. they were like talking and trying to figure things out. I don't know. I didn't like it. But you're entitled to your opinion. The other big difference is that the theatrical cut had a voiceover and the director's cut didn't. And in the past, I've, I've talked about how I'm not a big fan of voiceover. I find them unnecessary. But I don't know, for some reason, it like it framed it for me. And watching the director's cut after the theatrical cut, it felt a little empty without the voiceover. I don't know if you had any any opinion about it or you uh, take it or leave it? Um, I think the voiceover made the character seem more crazy. It seemed to make him seem more unhinged. That's interesting. That's, I wonder 
Maybe that's why I find him appealing. Because <laughs> he's an unhinged hero. Kind of, I mean, in Lethal Weapon, his character, especially like in that first movie, I think, right? More than some of the other ones, is portrayed as somewhat unhinged, but then you still, you're still rooting for him. Because I guess deep down, he's a good guy. He's just nuts. And he's been through some yeah. shit. So it's a little evocative of that. Well, then, like you said, I mean, the biggest difference is in the last act. And just to set it up, so Porter and and Val Resnick, they robbed some Chinese shady guys of uh, their money delivery. And they're supposed to split it two ways. But uh, Resnick has Porter's wife betray him and kill. Well, she thinks he kills him and Resnick thinks she kills him so that Resnick can take the money and use the money to get back into the syndicate, which uh, tangent, I love the gag where it used to be called the syndicate, but now and that's it's the, out- the outfit. Yeah, and he keeps like <laughs> calling it the wrong thing. It's like, no, no, we're the outfit now. So they had like this little rebranding. I thought that was like a really nice touch. So Resnick gets back into the outfit or the syndicate or whatever. And so Mel Gibson's back and he just wants his half of the money, but Resnick doesn't want to give it to him, obviously. And then the syndicate finds out that like, you know, there's this guy after this money and they tell Resnick to ca- take care of it. And those, it starts escalating. So like, like you said, one of your issues is that they introduced this final boss that you thought like, you didn't really feel like you cared about that character. And it was unnecessary. Uh, the, whole, the whole, I just feel like the, all of them came in. There's uh, the Charles Coburn character and- James Coburn. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The James Coburn character and the um, Chris Christopherson character came out of nowhere. So I just, I, I, I just felt like I needed to have something to let me know that these guys deserved what was happening to him, to them. So I'm gonna push back on that. I don't think they came out of nowhere because what? So what ends up happening is Porter's kind of working up, working his way up the chain. So Resnick, he's kind of like at the lowest level of the syndicate. And he reports to this guy named Carter. And so after uh, Mel Gibson dispenses with Resnick, he goes to see Carter and uh, he's like, I just want my money back. And Carter has this line about like, about how no corporation would just write him a check. So they set it up like it's this like uh, organized crime corporation. And he's, Mel Gibson's basically moving up the corporate ladder, just trying to get his money. And he he's, keeps escalating because he's like, First he kills Resnick, then he kills Carter, then he goes to the next guy until they got involved, like the guy who makes the decisions at the top. Yeah, well, then they should have talked about that before. Because the structure when he, of the corporation? When, when, when he kills Carter, I didn't think it served, served his character. Right. Everything after that just sort of lost me. I just feel like there should have been breadcrumbs. Mention, mention something how awful, like mention something that one of these guys has done that's like real shitty, just in passing. Leave, give me a little breadcrumb so that, you know, I'd be like, oh, well, he did do that. And they mentioned that in the first act, blah, blah, blah. Like, just don't drop some guy in here that we've never heard of, his name's not mentioned and whatever, and then kill him. I guess for me, for like my point of view is like, it doesn't even matter what they've done because it like, it sets up this idea of him just like working through the ranks to just like, no one wants to give us money. All right, I'll go to the guy. I'll like escalate it to the supervisor. And it doesn't matter who the, who those people are. I, I, need, I, I needed, I needed something. 
So eventually, so, well, okay. So the, one of the major differences is that the last guy, his last name's Bronson. So in the theatrical cut, you see him, he's played by Chris Christopherson. And the director's cut, you never see him. You only hear her on the phone. It's a woman played by Sally Kellerman, which I didn't, I didn't like that. It's just, I mean, it's, it could be kind of a cool device. That's only this voice on the phone, but like you were saying how in the theatrical cut, these people weren't, there weren't any breadcrumbs. It was just kind of thrown at you. That's what I felt with this voice. It like, it was like the setup, but it never paid off for me. I was okay with that. It worked for me. And so what ends up happening is Bronson in the theatrical cut happens to have a son that Porter learns about because he overhears this conversation through the phone. And so Porter uses the son to get Bronson to come out. And I agree that like bringing Bronson's son in kind of made it a little messy. Mm -hmm. Now, if Bronson's son had like punched the maid or something that like some, I don't know, they made him like this clean cut kid who's really happy to get in this car. And then the dad doesn't even seem like a bad guy either. He's like, here, son, happy birthday. Now, like if the dad or the son had like, if he slapped the kid in the face and did something, you know, so, something. But these are like really, they seem like genuinely cool people who have really no idea who Porter is, what Porter wants, whatever. Okay. Porter just drops from the sky. So then you've got this psychopath that's Porter going after these seemingly like nice people. I They made Bronson a jerk for me because he's on a call with Carter and Carter, his employees being threatened, and he's like, hold on a second. And then he's like, hey, Johnny, here's your birthday present. Like, how rude is that? He was really rude on the phone. I'm like, okay, he's a bad guy. <laughs> that was enough for me. <laughs> but like I said, I agree with the fact that bringing Bronson's son into the picture is like a little out there. But I think one, one thing, nice thing that it did is that Porter teams up with uh, Maria Bello, plays Rosie. And you get to, like, she uses her talents as a seducer to help kidnap the son. And I thought that was, like, a, a nice payoff, given what they set up. She's not just, like, this, like, side piece or whatever. She's actually part of the plan. And in the director's cut, she's not, I mean, she's around, but she's not as important. All right. I mean, I'll give you that one. But what ends up happening to your point is like he's such a sociopath that you like he he seems like he survives at the end of the theatrical one and it's kind of a happy ending but you're like do we want it to be a happy ending for him no he doesn't deserve i mean i get that he wants his money and it's a principle which is what starts the uh the director's cut was it's like a uh, on screen it's like got the word principle and then the definition so we know this is like he's got a code it's been broken. He's going to go get what's what's his. Okay. Right. But then again, it's to the tone of each each film. It works for the theatrical cut because it's appealing to the masses. Of course, he's going to live. And the dog gets in the car too. So happy ending. Is the dog dead in the second in the mm-hmm. cut? Yeah, <laughs> kills the dog. Hmm. Yeah, I guess they could have dispensed with the dog. I wasn't too attached to the dog. But then, so ultimately the end in the direct, director's cut is they're like, fine, we'll give you this money. And he's like, we'll meet at the subway station. Uh, and then there's like all these guys there because they don't want to give him the moment, money, obviously. It's it's a trap, so they want to kill him. And he like dispenses with almost all of them, except for like, there's like three left. 
or two left and there's a shootout and he gets fatally wounded or maybe not fatally. We don't know. And I don't know. I just like that sequence with, the, it just felt underwhelming. It like, I don't know. It was the, the film felt very top heavy, the director's cut. And that like last, like, I think last... he should have gone out in a different way. I don't think it should have been at the train station. Okay. I don't think that was a good, a good place for that gun battle. At least we agree there. Um, but in you know in the theatrical cut they have that scene and then he like uses that against him at the end and it's like a nice kind of bookend for me. But we've watched a lot of these types of movies and I I still think for me anyway the, the theatrical cut I, I enjoyed a lot and I think it's like we're talking about noir movies. I think it's one of the best of the '90s and I don't know I would say it's in like. If there was a top 50 or 20 of all time, I'd put it up there. Oh, I mean, I don't think I would do that. It's, I mean, I was entertained. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, th- I thought the dialogue throughout was excellent. I liked the look of it. I liked the character because he is kind of nuts and you're not sure what to make of him. So all of that came together for me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did like it. I like both versions. I, each for the, They each had their own merits. Yeah, but it's funny. So I saw the theatrical cut in the theaters and then I don't think I'd seen it for a long, long time. And then I was like, oh, I, like, I was thinking about that movie. I'm like, oh, I love that movie. I should get it on DVD. So I ordered it. I was like, oh, they only ha- I think they only had the director's cut when I was when I was buying it. Now the Blu-ray has both. <clears throat> so I get it. I'm like, oh, the director's cut. It's going to be even better. So I start watching it. And like, you know, I didn't remember the intricacies of like what the opening scene was. But I'm like, wait a second. This looks different. And then when the whole shootout at the end happens, I'm like, I don't remember any of this. What did I just watch? <laughs> you watched Payback. I thought it was like Redux. A, uh, what's that? Uh, what's the term for that thing? The Mandela effect? Yeah, it's like, wait, there's this movie that never existed that I thought I watched. But then I, I did watch the making of featurette and I was like, okay, this explains it. That's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually the second version of this of this story. There was another movie. It was called Point Blank, directed by John Foreman, and it's based on the same story. Would you rent either one? Um, I would probably stream both of them. All right. Well, I love it. I love the theatrical. <laughs> I say rent the theatricals, skip the director's cut. And that's all I have to say about that. But, you know, I think it's really more up to, like, your taste. You can kind of it's kind of cool because if you are more cynical, then I think that the director's cut. But I am more cynical. <laughs> I know. That's why I was surprised. It's that weird, you're... Right? Yeah. I, I didn't understand. I wonder if it's because I saw it first and it like, I connected with I it. it. I think it's because of the age that you saw it. I guess in 99, I was, what, 16? Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it left an impression on you, so much so that when you thought about it again, you even remembered, like, this isn't right. I, yeah. don't en- I did enjoy I remember enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's true. I'm Sydney. And I'm Jake. And you've been listening to Two for the Matinee. Join us next time when we discuss Point Blank and Picnic at Hanging Rock.